text was my very first sermon. Brian, do you remember what your first sermon was? Do you remember what text that was? Philippians. It's something in Philippians. Okay, so you didn't have to preach your first sermon on Judas falling headlong in a field. Okay, good. Um, this was my very first sermon a couple of years ago. Uh, and so I, I, I feel like there's a little bit of, of redemption, I hope, uh, in, in today's message. So God has done a lot of work in me and grown me over the last couple of years, but um, like we have said, we're wrapping up our soft launch series. So also, this is the last time you'll have to hear us say we're wrapping up our soft launch series. Um, <clears throat> but next week, we're going to start our new series on Colossians. <clears throat> Britt, do you have that graphic? So um, we have been blessed with a, a pretty incredibly talented communications team. And so uh, some of our very own people uh, created this graphic. This is um, really giving a picture of what Colossians is all about. Christ at the center, only Jesus, the Son of God, binding us together in love and unity. And so um, as we continue uh, our gatherings next week, we're going to be starting in Colossians. And I'll explain um, at, at the end of our service today what we're going to be, how we're going to invite you into that process. Um, and so... Um, I am surprised every year how quickly summer goes by because we're already coming up on August 15th. We're already coming up to Redeemer's official launch. We're already coming up to the start of school. We're already coming up onto the football season. Can I get an amen for that? Now, I know how Brian feels, but I love the Cowboys. Um, that's, so once football season starts, you might hear some Cowboys peppered into the sermons, but... Um, Brian's got some jokes to crack about them and, and creamer and coffee. But um, over the last few months, we've been able to see what God is doing in the life of our church. We've, we've been able to see God growing us together. And really, it's over the last couple of years, because um, back in 2019, my wife Kendall and I were really unsettled. We were living in Abilene, and we had, we had no idea where we would plant a church. I was in a residency training to plant, getting really close to the time where we had to figure it out, and we had nothing. And we started to get frustrated, and, and we just prayed. And it wasn't long after we started praying that God gave us clarity, and he called us to plant a church in San Angelo. Not long after that, the Spirit led Brian and Kersey to join us. Not long after that, did we make the, the difficult and um, stretched out move from Abilene to San Angelo. And then not long after that, we were here and we started gathering with just a few people. And we look back on those times and we're just amazed that we had no idea what we were doing the whole way through the process. God had given us a vision. God had given us convictions. God had even led me to write down on paper what those vision, the vision and those convictions were. But we still were like, God, what's the next step? We can't see super clearly. And every step of the way, he led us. So in the spring, the elders of the Journey Bible Church in Redeemer San Angelo joined together and prayed and asked the Lord to guide us, and, and he led us to, um, to grow together, two bodies growing together as one church family. And so over the summer, we spent time being unified as one body, 
learning about what God has called us to be in Redeemer. And now we get the opportunity in the fall to prepare, to prepare for what our future is going to look like as we pray and figure out what that is. And one thing that, that Brian and I, I feel like we say this, if not every day, certainly every week, we say this to each other, like, how did we get to this point and how do we know how to get to the next step? But only through depending on the Spirit. And I wish I could tell you that everything is always polished and everything is always smooth sailing uh, and things, you know, things are just easy. And we know the next couple of steps that we're going to take. But the reality is God only shows us one, two, maybe a few steps at a time. We desperately depend on him. That's the thing that has unified us through all of these changes and shifts. It's the thing that's unified us through all of the difficulty that we've gone through to get to this point. It's the thing that unifies all the joy and excitement around planting a church in San Angelo. Seeing God build his kingdom and advance his gospel by his Holy Spirit. Depending on God to be what we cannot be is what unifies the whole purpose of the church, not just Redeemer. I mean Big C Church, the church globally. And so we're gonna, we're gonna keep talking about that. How do we depend on the Holy Spirit? A couple weeks ago, Brian introduced our Acts 1 series and led us to that question. How do we depend on the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us in our everyday, normal, ordinary, and sometimes extraordinary lives? Last week, we focused on prayer, that we depend on the Spirit, not by performing for God in prayer, not by saying fancy things and having our best presented to God, but by allowing prayer to be a space where we can be honest and vulnerable with God, confess to our loving Father, ask for his help, confess our need for his help, and have the courage to take the next step in our lives filled with pain and suffering and joy and happiness. Today we're going to be talking about depending on the Spirit through Scripture. The circumstances don't change. We still have lives of pain and suffering, of joy and excitement. And the method doesn't change. We still depend on the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to focus on how we depend on the Holy Spirit in Scripture. Um, for those of us who confess Jesus as our ultimate authority, let's keep that question reverberating in our minds. How do I depend on the Holy Spirit through knowing and obeying Scripture? Because it's through Scripture and prayer, like we, like we learned last week, it's through Scripture and prayer that God shapes and forms and informs his church. Okay? That's how we are guided. Um, I just want a, a point of clarity. You'll hear me and, and you'll even hear Brian in the future. We'll use the word scripture, the Bible, God's word, the words of God. They're all saying the same thing. It's all the, the written revealed word of God to us, his people. Nothing more, nothing less. Scriptures. 
Okay? So let's start uh, with what Peter has to say in verse 15 and 16. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Notice that Peter says the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke. Now this concept, because for us this is written, and for Peter, his quotes that he'll use later were written. This is, is like, it's not the same bigness, obviously, because God's word is far elevated above ours. But imagine your boss or your supervisor, your principal, um, or your parent sent you a text or an email or a memo, and they told you to do something. Their words, written, carry the same weight and authority because of their identity, right? Not because they're written, not because of your interpretation, but their words, written, carry the same weight and authority. This would be as if God is standing in this room telling us these things, is what Peter is saying. The scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke. So knowing that, clarifying that point, we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to let scripture speak to us in that way? Are we willing to let scripture speak to us as if God is standing in front of me, looking me in the eyes and telling me to live a holy life? Are we willing to know and obey scripture? The alternatives to that are we either ignore him completely or we find some way to control God's word to make it say what we want it to say and pick out the things we don't like, the things that we don't want it to say. In the 1930s, this is a, this is a hard story, um, but it, it stretches across all that, that God led me to, to speak on today. In the 1930s, Adolf Hitler... Um, was this was before World War II. He was gaining allegiance in Germany, trying to um, ground up some, some loyal following in Germany to expand his vision for a German empire, a global empire. And he knew that in order to get the public to go right along with the Holocaust, almost blindly follow him, he knew that his leadership had to be accepted early and that they had to see him as the ultimate authority. And so as he's working his way through Germany, exterminating the Jews, a Christian leader, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, starts to get really unsettled about this. This is a man whose, whose whole reality is influenced by Scripture. And Bonhoeffer starts preaching against this desecration of God's image in the extermination of, of people, of humans. And instead of Hitler exterminating Bonhoeffer, 
he goes to a major public figure in the church and he convinces him to preach and encourage a twisted version of Romans 13. This is where the church became complicit in the Holocaust. Hitler's church leader preached on Romans 13, which says that we're to obey our governmental authorities, that we're to live peaceably under their authority, that we should trust them because God put them in their positions. But what he did not preach was that the bookends of that passage are love. The whole point around Paul writing that, the Holy Spirit speaking that through Paul, was to say, you give up your whole life for love. Romans 13 was written to a people in Rome being persecuted and killed. This was the fate that was standing before the church in Germany. And Paul said, don't give in to what they're asking you to do to stay silent and renounce Christ. But do not respond in an unchristlike way with violence and rebellion. Your call is to love and peace and gentleness and humility. So the Holy Spirit speaking to the Roman church is saying our allegiance is to first God not our governmental authorities. And our response to God, our response to Jesus, is not dependent on what our government thinks about Jesus. We respond to Christ in faith, and that is where our allegiance stands. That's the message of Romans 13. Okay, now, picture this. In 1930s Germany, this message twisted to say scripture says your ultimate authority is the authority that God puts you under. So they're declaring that, that their authority comes from God to exterminate these people. And it didn't take long for the church to give their allegiance to the German government and the Nazi party and to remain silent during the Holocaust, except for Bonhoeffer and a handful of other people um, who, that's another story for another day. It's an incredible story. But I just want to be clear that the message of our Psalms that Peter quotes here, and I'll, I'll read them in just a minute, is that when when Hitler or Judas or anybody else makes themselves an enemy of God, when we piecemeal the Bible to fit our agendas, our purposes, our kingdoms, our natural desires and impulses to satisfy our conscience, that we're not living under the authority of Scripture. Are there parts of the Bible that are hard to read? Absolutely. Are there parts of the Bible that are hard to obey? Absolutely. 
especially when it calls you to sacrifice the health and safety of you and your family. But what if it's not God's word that is broken? What if the brokenness is in us? What if it's not God's words that are messed up or need to be reshaped to fit our conscience? But what if it's our conscience and our hearts and our desires that need to be reformed? What if the brokenness is not in Scripture but in our hearts? What if the brokenness is in our willingness to be led by the Holy Spirit regardless of the outcome? My, my sermon is not on being a martyr. It's not on um, standing up to the government. But it is about Scripture, what Scripture is and what it calls us to do with it. You may be comfortable with Jesus' words about caring for the poor, visiting the sick. But what do you do with Jesus' words on anger? Are you also comfortable dehumanizing people with cynicism and gossip? Personally, I don't wrestle with obeying Ephesians 5.18 when the Holy Spirit calls us and commands us to not be drunk, to not live under the influence, perpetuated influence of substances. That's not a personal struggle of mine. But I will tell you that I have fallen on the ground in confession and repentance time and time again, asking for God's forgiveness for my disobedience and my struggle to obey what the Holy Spirit says in Ephesians 6, 4, that fathers should deal gently with their children. If we're to trust and depend on the Holy Spirit to guide us, we have to trust and depend on everything that he says to us in scripture. How can we expect God to guide our decisions, to answer our questions about where do we go to college? Should I marry this person or not? What job should I take? How, do, how can we expect God to help us answer those questions if we can't obey what he already says in scripture about living holy lives? Where are our priorities? Let's read verse 17 through 20. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Speaking of Judas. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called, in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. Just a, a really quick point of clarification again. This Judas that betrayed Jesus is a different Judas than was praying with the brothers, Okay, um, it, it lists Judas, the son of James, as one of the apostles. There were two Judases that Jesus called to follow him. One betrayed Christ and ended up dying in a field. 
one of them um, lives in heaven with Jesus. We see Peter um, explain the life of Judas and then follow that description with two quotes from the Psalms, Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. And we only see one line from each, not because Peter thought it was okay to grab a coffee cup verse and set it isolated from its context and explain that. But Peter understood, as did his, his people that, that he was speaking to, that these verses represented the whole context of both Psalm 69 and Psalm 109, which have the same message. Someone has betrayed God's chosen king. Remember these Psalms, 69 and 109, were written by King David. And his own son, his own creation, betrayed him and attempted to take his throne. And in David running from that betrayal for safety, he wrote these Psalms. Someone has betrayed God's king and sought to assassinate him. And his end is not easy to look at or deal with. The enemies of God do not have a future that is easy for us to swallow. This is one of these parts of the, of the Bible that we like to take out. This is one of the parts that we read real quickly over and just, okay, forget about that. Let's deal with God's love and peace and mercy. We should. And you know what? Scripture actually more so emphasizes his love and his peace and his mercy and his forgiveness. But God has enemies. And we see Judas, and we're, our nature is not much different than the nature of Judas. Betraying Jesus to go to our own place, to go our own way, to reject the way of Jesus in our lives, to reject his scriptures, to reject what he has to say in guiding us and leading us, and to choose our own way. I'm a better God. I don't need scripture. I know how to put more hours in at work to get more money back so I can have the things that please me. I know what real true security is for me and my family. It's in things that I can grab and numbers I can look at on my computer screen. Scripture has something else to say about that. That God's words stand above our desires and our satisfaction. Peter's quote of these Psalms comes from a widespread understanding of what Scripture has to say about our reality. It's not that since Jesus um, was resurrected, Peter and Jesus sat there for 40 days studying the Scriptures, trying to exegete the meaning out of these Psalms to figure out what exactly they were saying based on the life of Judas. Peter and the rest of the apostles lived with an awareness of the, the scriptural reality that God's enemies have a predicted outcome. You know, Costco, I don't know if they still do, um, but when we lived in Colorado a few years ago, Costco had the Bible and the fiction section. That's not real. This is real life. These words are alive. They perform surgery on our hearts and our imaginations. 
They don't just tell us the things to avoid and the things that we should be doing. They give us a framework to see the world through a different lens of God's salvation. The story of the Bible is that God is good, that we are not, and we need him to save us in Jesus. That's the story of the Bible. That's how we, that's how we read it. It's all unified together. That's how we interpret it for our lives. It changes our reality. We don't get to shape it and mold it to fit our vision of what a perfect world will look like. It tells us exactly. Staying tied to my illustration, um, I want to point out that um, taking Scripture and twisting it and throwing some things away and emphasizing things that Scripture doesn't emphasize. This is what Hitler did to, to encourage the church to be complicit in his vision for his idea of what the world should look like. That's a wicked heart. And Hitler doesn't get off easy. Neither does Judas. But that's not, we can't, we, it's easy to point the finger at them and say, man, those jerks. It's that same wickedness in us that shows up in a lot more subtle ways. A lot more difficult ways to, to break ourselves from. We don't just start at the point of rebellion. We don't just start at the point of betraying Christ outright. We don't just start at the point of a genocide. Bonhoeffer and his companions were constantly guided by what the Holy Spirit gave them as their framework and their reality for life. Following the way of Jesus under the authority of Scripture. The Bible teaches us the truth about God, the truth about ourselves, and the story of salvation that God has for us. We can talk about God's enemies. We can talk about the fact that Scripture is clear that we are God's enemies in our nature, but in Christ we have hope, right? The Bible more emphasizes the readiness to forgive, the mercy and compassion that God has, than it does his judgment and his wrath and what is coming for the enemies of God. What the Bible speaks about is what we should speak about, and the volume that the Bible speaks of things about is what the volume that we should use. Yes, there is a reality, a harsh reality, when we reject God. But the volume is louder for God's righteousness, for God's forgiveness, for his freedom, for his justice and his mercy and his love in Jesus. Depending on the Holy Spirit through Scripture is sitting under its authority and obeying what it says, allowing our hearts, our minds, our realities, our imaginations to be transformed by the truth of God. And so these, these questions that I'm about to ask, that Brian asked in week one, that I asked last week, sit with them. 
Write them down, reflect on them. Do you know your weariness? Do you know your weakness? Do you know your need for help from God? For salvation from God? For guidance through the rest of your life? Do you know that you need the Holy Spirit? And the Spirit shows us in our second half of the passage what Peter and the apostles do next. Now, there's a couple of things that they do, and I'm going to emphasize one of them. So first, they use the wisdom and knowledge that Jesus gave them in their time following him. They selected qualified men. Then they acted responsibly and maturely to select those qualified men. So we have a responsibility for maturity. And then they prayed. I bet you thought I wasn't going to go a whole sermon without talking about prayer. Let's read uh, verses 21 through 26. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two men you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. This lot casting is similar to a roll of the dice. It's similar to a coin flip. Um, scripture, Proverbs sixteen thirty three, also in Numbers, Chapters 26 through 36, it's peppered in there. Lots are uh, accepted in Israel. It's, it's widely accepted uh, by religious leaders and by common people. Um, but remember, this was before the Holy Spirit came to indwell the people of God. We don't need to flip coins. We don't need to cast lots because God in his grace and mercy And his wisdom and his beauty has given the Holy Spirit to us to help us make decisions today. So we pray because we need him. We pray because we say, you, Lord, putting Jesus as our authority, you, Lord, know the hearts of all. So we pray. We don't need to cast lots. We don't need to take a chance. Their reality, their understanding, the way that they lived, they had no word for spirituality because it was just how they lived. God had influence even over which rock fell out of a can and hit the ground first. That was how they cast lots. They trusted in the sovereignty of God that he had control over all creation. We can trust that the Holy Spirit in us guides and directs us. So we depend on scripture. We depend on prayer. when we have tough choices to make, life-altering choices, 
the scripture doesn't outright say we pray. It won't tell you where to go to college. It won't tell you if or to whom you should marry. It won't tell you whether or not to kick out your rebellious and destructive child. It won't tell you whose advice to take on the COVID vaccine. It won't tell you if this is your church home or not. Scripture isn't a textbook. It isn't a life coach. It isn't a magic eight ball. I think I lost some Gen Zers. And a magic eight ball is an, an antiquated toy long before the time of YouTube and, and TikTok. This was a toy from the late 1900s. I know how you guys talk about my generation, the late 1900s. That's real, right? Man. Scripture cannot make your everyday decisions for you. It guides you in a whole new reality. It guides you into holiness. It guides you into a walk with the Holy Spirit that guides you through your everyday decisions. So we pray. We obey what Scripture does tell us. And we keep praying. We ask Jesus to help us. We ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and give us wisdom and to be faithful with whatever happens because God is still good. The story of Scripture is Jesus. The story of Scripture is to give us the truth of God and the truth of us and to reveal to us the story that God is weaving of salvation for us. If you believe this to be true, if you believe scripture to reveal your salvation to you, if you, if you depend on the Holy Spirit for your guidance and your direction, if you put your faith and trust and hope in Jesus to save you from being God's enemy, to save you from an outcome of sin and death, then we're about to enter into a time of worship and I, I just would ask you to, to pray, to take communion to take the bread and the juice to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross as he died so that God would not see us as his enemies but as his children what an incredible adoption you can trust what scripture says that because of Jesus, you stand before God, not as an enemy, but as a child. And if you don't believe in Jesus to save you from sin and death, to transform you from being a natural enemy, then you have the opportunity this morning. Trust what the scripture says. God is good. We are not. And Jesus saves. Let's pray as we Continue our time in worship. Let's submit to the Holy Spirit and his leading. Holy Father, 
we come before you this morning and we ask for your help. We ask for your help for us to confess our need. We ask for your help for us to confess our sins to you, God. We ask you to forgive us for living before you flippantly, not as if you are our authority, but that we have the right and the wisdom and the authority to go to our own way. God, we ask you to give us more of your Holy Spirit to guide us, to comfort us, to give us peace in our pain and in our suffering. God, we ask you to lead us into living holy lives and that you would be with us and that your presence in your scripture and in our prayer would be the thing that we chase. God, we need you and we love you. Would you even help us this morning as we worship you? Amen.